Good morning. I might have to talk like a chipmunk to get all this cool stuff in from this week's Come Follow Me. Or you might have to discover most of it on your own. But let's dive in. So the overall theme seems to be put your heart where it belongs, don't focus on material things, and repent, repent, repent. We're going to be studying Luke 12 through 17 and John 11. And very directly, we're told in John chapter 12, no, Luke chapter 12, beware of hypocrisy, for nothing is covered that shall not be revealed. Uh, the second thing, don't be afraid of what can kill the body, fear what can kill the spirit. And the third one, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in abundance of things which he possesses. Lay up your treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And those are just a few of the one-sentence sermons that are found in Luke 12. Luke 13, we get the parable of the barren fig tree, and that one is central message is repent or perish. And then Luke 14 is the parable of the Great Supper. And this really lays a great foundation for another parable we will discuss today, as well as a story. So in the parable of the Great Supper, a certain man decided to have a huge party. And he prepares, prepares a feast to serve, and he invited a long list of people. And when it was all ready, he sent a servant out to let the invited know that the feast was ready. So everybody on the list, everyone had an excuse. I bought some property and I need to go see it. I just bought some oxen and I need to go work with them. I just got married. I need to wash my hair, whatever. Everybody had an excuse. So everybody on the invitation list wasn't coming. No one. No one was coming to the feast. So the man sent his servant out and ask him to bring the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. Now the servant's supposed to bring these people. These are people who would likely need some help of some kind to get there. And these were those who were humbled by circumstance. They were hungry and needy in spirit. They were eager to attend. And there was still room at the table after all of those people arrived. So the servant was again sent out, this time to compel anyone from the highway and the hedges. These would need to be persuaded and invited and worked with so that they would agree to come. So the certain man is the savior. He's done all, he's done everything uh, that the blessings of the gospel, the gospel feast is available to any and all who would respond to the invitation, come follow me. Those invited who had made baptismal covenants don't always show up. The busyness of life takes, uh, takes its toll. But those often humbled by poverty, disease, and trials come to the Lord's table thirsting for, hungering for, healing, comfort, wholeness, peace, and they are brought there by making and keeping covenants and focusing their life and heart on serving the Lord. Everyone's invited, and there's always room at the Lord's table. 
and those in every walk of life are invited. Friends, family often have to be worked with, taught, and invited to the ordinances and the covenants that brings them to the gospel feast. So let's go to Luke 15 and talk about lost. And no, I'm not talking about the show lost. Just lost, being lost. People get lost in essentially three different ways. One, they willfully rebel and are lost. Two, some wander and get lost without intending to. And three, some are lost due to someone else's choices or neglect. So let's look at these parables. The first lost parable is about the hundred sheep and one wanders off and becomes lost. The sheep go where the grass is. This sheep was not lost through willful disobedience or careless neglect. It simply strayed in search of greener pastures and soon was lost. President David O. McKay said this lamb was seeking its livelihood in a perfectly legitimate manner. But either stupidity, perhaps unconsciously, it followed the enticement of the field, the prospect of better grass until it got out beyond the fold and was lost. So we have those in the church who wander away from the fold in perfectly legitimate ways. They're seeking success, success in business, success in profession, and finally disconnected from the fold, they've lost track of what true success is, perhaps stupidly, perhaps unconsciously, in some cases, perhaps willingly. They are blind to what constitutes true success. So what does the shepherd do in the parable? He goes after the lost one, of course. Why? If you consider it, it makes no sense to risk losing 99 as you leave them to find the one. But the shepherd does so because he loves all his sheep, even the wandering one. And when the lamb is found, there is rejoicing. The second lost parable is about a woman with 10 pieces of silver and she loses one. President McKay said in this case, the thing was, that was lost was not in itself responsible. The one who had become trusted with that coin had, through carelessness or neglect, mislaid or dropped it. Our charge is not only coins, but living souls of children, youth, and adults. Think about that for a minute. Who are we most involved with? Our parents, our spouses, our children, our extended family. So anyway, back to President McKay, someone may be wandering because of a careless remark. Now he goes on to give examples of choices that we make and in, in relationship to those we care for the most and the, those who are most precious to us that can cause some to be lost. So in the parable, what does the woman do? She searches diligently, she lights candles for extra light, she sweeps the house and until she finds it. And when it's found, she rejoices. So who are we trusted with in our own lives? And what are we doing to prevent the loss or to find the lost? All right, the third lost parable is about lost sons. It's often referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. It is more accurately referred to as the parable of the lost sons, plural. 
or even the parable of the prodigal father. So here's a maybe you didn't know. The definition of the word prodigal, there's two definitions. The first one is spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. Now that would be the one son uh, in the parable. But the second definition is having or giving something on a lavish scale. And that would be the goodness and love that the father gives to his sons. It's over the top. There's no limit. So this parable has both willful rebellion as the first son asks, asks for his inheritance from his father. Um, keep in mind that his father is still using his land and his money for his own livelihood. So to give the son his inheritance will require quite a hit for the father. The son takes the wealth, spends it on righteous living and harlots until it's gone. Empty and at rock bottom, he begins to want for the basics of life. Food is scarce and he's now caring for pigs, which are unclean to the Jewish. And if possible, he would even eat the pig food if anyone would give it to him. Sometimes after mistakes, we have to hit the absolute rock bottom and be in a place of need and want to humble ourselves enough to fix what is wrong. So after a time, he starts remembering his father's goodness, which seems to have no limits. He reasons that even the servants of his father are living better than he is. So he comes up with a plan. Number one, I will arise. Number two, I will go to my father. Number three, I will say to him, I've sinned against heaven and before him. Number four, I will tell him I'm not worthy to be his son. And number five, I will ask if I can be one of his hired servants. So he arises and he heads off to his father. His father, apparently keeping a constant lookout for his returning son, sees him way off in the distance. And his father takes off running to his son. Now, maybe you didn't know that in that culture at that time, men did not run. Women and children ran. Men and estate owners did not run. So his father drops all dignity and runs to his son. Note, he finds his son where he is in his journey, just as the Savior finds us where we are in our journey. He reaches his son and in compassion and love falls on his neck and kisses him. And this is before the son apologizes. The father loves the son, so the son continues with his plan. Number three, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Number four, I'm not worthy to be your son. Well, the father interrupts him before he can ask to be hired and calls his servants and tells them, kill the fatted calf. Now, fatted, that means the father had to have fattened up a calf just for this occasion. And maybe you didn't know. A fatted calf is a prized possession, and not even a daughter getting married would get a fatted calf. So the son wants to earn his way back into the family, but the father is wanting to give him his prized possession. He gives him a ring, a robe, and shoes, symbols of royalty, welcomes him into their home with rejoicing and a party, food, music, and celebration. Now the other son, who is not lost due to rebellion, but is lost, he, like the wandering lamb, lo loses his focus and becomes focused on his daily work and earning wealth. Note, neither son had a close relationship with the father. 
One was in rebellion and one with his heart set on material wealth. So the second son hears the party, is angry, and stands outside the house. He won't enter. And note the father leaves the party and comes to where his son is in his story, just as the Savior comes to us where we are in our story. He said to his father, I served thee all these years. I was not rebellious. You never gave me a party. So what was the end game? Money? Did he serve him because he loved him? He was focused on work and money. The father said, all that I have is yours. But in his focus on work, he's blind to the over-the-top goodness of the father. So let's take home lesson. Will you come to the feast? There is room at the table for everyone. Are we after the inheritance I want to get to heaven, or are we concerned with our relationship with our Heavenly Father? We each choose for ourselves how much of the Father's goodness do we want. Often we have to come to a place of need of brokenness. We have to come to ourselves, as happened in that parable, to focus our priorities on having a close relationship with our Father. Time for challenge questions. High school, what question or problem prompted the lost parables? Look in Luke 15, 1 through 2. Middle school, what did you learn about the goodness of the father in the parable of the prodigal son? Elementary school, what was lost in the first two lost parables we talked about today? And preschool, what would you do if you lost something? One last thing to talk about. Let's talk about the story of Lazarus. We've talked about this story before, and you remember Lazarus was the brother of Martha and Mary and was sick. They sent for the Savior, knowing that he could heal him. The Savior delays his coming, and Lazarus dies and is wrapped in burial cloths. I think of a mummy sort of a thing. He laid the tomb, and the stone is is rolled in place to seal the tomb. He is in the tomb for more than four days, so as was the custom, the people considered him completely gone, totally dead. His spirit's no longer anywhere near. So I'm going to take some thoughts from Brother Shumway's talk when he was president of BYU-Hawaii entitled, Loose Him, Let Him Go, March 26, 2002 devotional address. So the Savior arrives, a crowd gathers, imagine the variety of emotion, there's intense grieving of Martha, and Mary, wailing of the mourners, the Savior's own tears, the disciples' fears of the Jewish leaders. The crowd consists of Mary and Martha, the disciples and other Jews, some believers, some critics. You've got hostility of parts of the crowd and sadness of the grave site. Jesus commands the stone to be removed and he offers a prayer of gratitude. Then in verse 43 of John 11, It says, and when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Can you imagine the combination of hope, terror, surprise the people feel as Lazarus obeys that command? And then in verse 44, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave claws. His face was bound with a napkin, and Jesus saith unto them, loose him and let him go. 
Christ was commanding the people to freeze, free Lazarus, to remove the grave claws and unbind the wrapping around his eyes, mouth, hand, and feet, the wrappings of the grave, for he lived again. Think about the joy. So we are all like Lazarus, beloved of the Lord, but wrapped about in the grave claws of this world. The acts of helping to remove someone's grave claws, as it were, are the essence of a Latter-day Saint's errand from the Lord. You may ask yourself, am I an unbinder or am I a binder? Do I help loose or remove the grave claws of others or do I wrap their grave claws more tightly around them? We need to stand forth and to allow our grave claws to be removed and that we might also be both the healers and the healed, the unbinders and the unbound. We need to look for simple ways to serve others, a kind word, lending a hand to a young family, a smile, a load of laundry, a word of encouragement. We all can be healers and unbinders, knowing that we must be healed and unbound as well. This healing, this unbinding, this coming to know the Savior comes when we serve, when we find that which is lost, when we focus on our relationship with our Heavenly Father, when we make and keep covenants, when we partake of the sacrament, and when we do as the Savior invites, come follow me. Have a great week.